When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Welcome back to another episode of Two Girls, One Ship, the podcast where we analyze, rate, and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. I'm Genesis, the girl who really wanted to quit her Dark Urge playthrough last night because of one stupid action. No spoilers. (laughs) And I'm Bravada, the girl who will want you to spoil that for me later because I'm currently in Act 1 of my Dark Urge playthrough. (laughs) And I don't want to mess up, so help me out. Okay, totally will. And if you're new here, welcome to the beautiful chaos. But you should know that our podcast centers on character and romance analysis and doesn't shy away from exploring the fun of fucking. Or from the deep emotional connections built between two or more characters using specific in-game dialogue, usually, but not really tonight. But still, if you want to stay spoiler-free, then this is definitely not the podcast for you. Why don't we allow our two super special guests tonight to do the spoiler alert? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, here's your fucking spoiler warning. (laughs) Okay, and if you did not recognize that voice, that was Austin, a.k.a. Teacup, and with him is his lovely, lovely co-host only, they're totally not together at all, uh, She-Cup, or Shelby. (laughs) Who are you? Never met you before, before, ever. (laughs) Not married, but they do have a podcasting empire built together. (laughs) Not quite an empire, just just a fun time. It's kind of an empire. Nah. (laughs) <laughs> your discord is pretty huge and very very active um very reactive sometimes a little bit too reactive <laughs> yes nah. <laughs> oh but of course at the end of every dragon age series we have had you guys on to talk about all of the dragon age romances and we have a lot to go through tonight because there were eight romance options in Dragon Age Inquisition. So I know it's going to be difficult, but I think we have to try and stay on focus and on topic tonight. Uh, We'll see how that goes. We started off our series with Sarah. So thoughts and feels about Sarah. Would you ever romance her? I have romanced her. First Dragon Age Inquisition romance was Sarah. I don't know why I played as a girl for my first, because I normally do boy first playthrough and then go and do a female the next playthrough. But I did, I don't remember why, but I did romance Sarah first time. And I don't remember why I did it, but I was 
let's see, Dragon Age Inquisition came out in 2014, so I was 22? Yes. 22? Uh, very different. I don't think I would do it now. I don't think it's... It's a very immature romance for me, but not mm-hmm. like the same way that Alistair is immature. Like, it's not gross immature. It's just like, no, this isn't the stage of life I'm in anymore. That's interesting because I kind of feel like it is gross immaturity. Like she makes poop jokes. Like she thinks swearing is funny. You know, she thinks crass language is hilarious. So I do feel like it is that kind of same immaturity as Alistair. And Jen, I feel the same way as you do. I think it's you that has said it feels weird to romance Alistair. Like as an adult, I very much feel that way with Sarah because it just, I feel like she's so much younger than me. Like I, when I'm playing the game, look at her as like a friend or a sibling, somebody that like I need to like shepherd along the path of like being a real adult. Um, And so it feels weird to me to romance her. Um, because of that. I also have issues with the fact that like the only, only lesbian romance we have in the game is Sarah. And if you're an elf and you believe in the elven gods, you're kind of screwed. You can't romance her. She breaks up with you. So it's just kind of frustrating that there's like the one lesbian romance that we have exclusively lesbian romance, I should say is internalized hatred and breaks up with you because you are religious. I think that's kind of shitty. So that's my major issue with Sarah's romance. Yeah, I fully agree with that. She's uh, like in my notes, I had manic pixie fairy and that type of attitude is just not somebody for me. Um, we'd be great friends, you know, little sister vibes for sure, but not somebody that I could be romantically involved with. I mean, no, I couldn't even do like friends with benefits level. It just feels too young. Yeah, I think there was an age and a time in my life that I would have liked her and I was too old for her already when Inquisition came out. So she wasn't for me either. She was definitely like friend material, like you said. But that was, I think that is a big hang up for me is the other romances provide you with an opportunity to most of the other romances um, cause Solus doesn't really, but like provide you with an opportunity to kind of like enlighten them a little bit or like expand their worldview and make them a little more tolerant maybe, but not Sarah, like not really. She has a hard line and gives you a lot of ultimatums that if you don't answer the right way for her, not necessarily what you might believe in, she's just done with you forever. Yeah. And I'm not an ultimatum person, so wouldn't work that and yeah, I mean, she finds a romance in the end that i think fits perfectly for her yes yes for sure and i think i was gonna add i think solas allows you if you're a non-elf or even i guess a little bit if you're an elf and you're just his friend like he does allow himself to be changed by friendship but not necessarily in the romance and i mean It's interesting that the two elf romances both have those kind of hard lines in the sand. Um, I'm not sure if they're trying to make a point, but it's just an interesting coincidence. Mm -hmm. I also think, and this is just me um, 
I think one of the reasons why like my Sarah romance didn't become my canon one is because of like the culmination scene where you shave whatever into your privates and it was immersion breaking for me. Like it didn't feel like something that would happen Oof. in the universe. Yeah. Yeah. That's very much like, even from a physicality standpoint, like do, do they have razors, like a good bick that's not going to cut you? Or are you sitting there with a knife and some shaving cream that you formulated? Like I, yeah, I completely get that. Like nobody's shaving back then. No, no. And I should imagine say, with a Venus. <laughs> right oh my god! Yeah, I um I do like Sarah as like a friend, as just a companion. Um, I do of course have my criticisms of her, but I really like her as just a companion. I'm just not a fan of her romance. Uh, great. All right. So moving on to Blackwall. Now, I had Lumber Daddy of My Dreams on here. Oh, we refer to the Blackwall romance as tits out in the stable. Hell yeah. I also I also <laughs> refer to it as fucking Chuck because that's exactly what he does. And it just drives me crazy. Yeah. 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 I can't argue against either of those statements. Um, <laughs> like, at least throw a blanket on her. Jeez. <laughs> Maybe like, it was a nice warm night. Get a curtain, anything. He couldn't close the window. They were in the stable. They were in the hayloft. But it, he could have gotten a makeshift curtain. The draft. Like, and, but the like, draft. okay, just let's think about it logistically for a second. They're fucking in that bed in the hayloft with this right next to the open window for every damn body in Skyhold to see. I'm sorry. That is not romantic to me. I mean... But everyone in Skyhold already knows your business. Okay, but that doesn't mean they have to see it in the act. <laughs> I feel like Blackwall gives you that, like, kind of role play of, like, I'm just a little common folk lady, you know? Because you're in the stables and, and he's got this rugged man of the people about him. But, like, you're the Inquisitor. You have a really great bed at the top of the castle. Why not go there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. I also, this is another one that, like, I like Blackwall fine enough as a companion and a friend, but the romance just doesn't do it for me. There's just way too much miladying going on, <laughs> and that rubs me the wrong way. Wait, you don't like that? No, you should know. I don't like that. Yeah. Um, I think also, like, the timing of the Blackwall romance for me sometimes gets me because, like, he gives you that sad story about the dog and then you get your romance scene and then he leaves. Yeah. It's very depressing. Yeah. I do feel like the Blackwall romance could have been done a little bit differently and made it feel less like you were lied to. Because you are lied to, but you're also lied to in several other romances. That's not a new thing coming into play here. Um, but I don't know. I just feel like I agree with you, Austin. The timing of it all is a little sus. Well, like, I mean, he lied and it was kind of a big deal, but it's not even like the biggest deal lie in the whole of the romances either. And yet he gets like thrown into prison and he's just like, oh, my God, just you should just kill me and hate me forever. Forget I even exist. Like, he's so self-deprecating. And I know that's because of where he's at as a person. But 
it to me that's when i was like oh i don't i don't really dig this romance because when she's like i have to believe it was real i was like you see you're reading so stupid to me right now like if a man was in a jail cell in front of me in a dungeon being like i literally lied to you about everything and we had already like had sex and then also with the audacity to leave me in the stables i don't think i would be like oh but it's fine i forgive you so fast like i think it it didn't feel earned but that was the only way to keep the romance going in the game so you had to say that if you wanted to keep it i wish it was like he he had to earn your trust back a little bit maybe that's too far for a game maybe that's like too in-depth but it didn't feel real anymore at that point the miladying didn't bother me except it did get a little much because once again like everyone who is directly answering to you it does kind of when they start calling you milady or milord or whoever whatever they say inquisitor it's like oh gosh yeah i'm your boss ew (laughs) don't make me remember that yeah in bed yeah yeah it's just it's it's an interesting i think also dichotomy between the solace mancers and the very few black wall mancers that may be lurking out there in the shadows because i do i feel like i have seen like a good chunk of people who romance solace specifically hating on black wall on the internet and i'm just like guys do we not see the irony here? Like, you really can't love Solus and criticize Blackwall too much for his behavior in this game. Like, and they have great dialogue that follows up on it. Like, great dialogue where they're at each other's throats. And then later on, where Blackwall, like, comes back to the party and Solus, he, I don't remember the exact line, but he has something reflective to say that's like, maybe I judged you too harshly or something to that effect. And it's like, reading, playing, playing this back again is like, yeah, maybe you freaking did. I definitely see the parallels. I don't hate Blackwell. I don't want to romance him because it's not for me. But um, also, like, I don't blame anyone who does. I think for for the most part, it's really cute. I love the courtly aspect of it. And if you don't romance him, it's not like he ends up with someone either. So you might as well if that's who you want to romance. But I will not be a soulless hypocrite. Like, <laughs> soulless lies, I think, way more than Blackwell does we'll get to where I think they're different. If I mean, I already did an episode, but we can talk about it again a little bit later when we get to Solus. Um, I do want to say really quickly, I'm pretty sure I should have verified this, but I didn't. I'm pretty sure that if you don't romance Blackwall and you don't romance Josie, that they do end up together by the end of the game. They don't end up together. They, they like just have a thing. They have a thing. And then by trespasser, if you question him about it, he'll just be like, Oh, yeah, that wasn't actually a thing. I could I could never. Our stations are too different. Like it's it's the true like knight and lady romance where it's forbidden mm-hmm. because she is literally a noble woman and he is quote unquote nothing in his mind, at least at the time. But they do have like a flirty thing okay. in Inquisition, but it doesn't come to anything by trespasser. Yeah, I just feel like if he had a little bit more self-confidence and had gone to therapy and worked out some of his issues. Like, I think he'd be a catch for a regular person um, with a regular job. Like I can see Blackwall like being with someone who like works at the tavern or owns a bakery or whatever. Like it's, yeah. yeah. Or like 
Harding. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Any of the regular people. I just feel like it's just not the right fit with the Inquisitor. I agree with that. Now, on the flip side of things, where Sarah felt too young, Blackwell almost felt too old for me. Like, and it's nothing about him that reads specifically old, but I just felt like you are not the spry young man who's going to be able to keep up with me, let alone like keep up with the Inquisition. Like, how are you legitimately out here fighting? You seem like you're 60. Yes. And it's like he doesn't even look old. Like he has a little bit of like gray in his beard, but like he's not an old man. He's not portrayed like Wynn in Origins. He just acts like a boomer. Mm-hmm. He and Wynn are probably the same age. Well, Wynn is no age anymore. But okay. please, please. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. He just reads a little too old for me, which is very, very strange. He looks like someone I would have to explain how to open a PDF to if he like lived in a technology. Yes. But 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 if he does actually become a gray warden, he's like in charge of something, isn't he? By trespasser or like he's something like that. I think he's like important. So then it'd be like my old boss and my old job who made literally triple what I made and then came to me and was like, how do I insert a photo in PowerPoint? Mm-hmm. And I had to show her, and I'm like, I literally make minimum wage. Are you joking? Anyway, yeah. <laughs> that's Blackwell. <laughs> okay, good summation. Let's move on to one of our favorites on the list, Cassandra. Ooh. I'm unfamiliar. Mm. Okay. Um, I, I'm just going to say the listeners have already heard my thoughts when I guessed it on this show. They've already heard my rant. So I promise I will not do it rant all over again. So <laughs> I'm opening the floor to the other three of you. Austin, what are your thoughts on Cassandra? I like Cassandra's romance. I do tend to agree with Shelby's rant. But I do like the romance. I like that I really appreciate Cassandra's moment. And in a similar stance, and this comparison is really going to be like out of left field, but in Isabella's stance of Cassandra from the get-go is like, this is what I want. This is what I expect. If you can meet that, we'll do that. But if you don't want to meet that, then this is over. And I respect that. Yeah. Actually, as somebody, I romanced Izzy for quite a while in DA2, and yeah, I couldn't meet her standards of just wanting a casual fling, and uh, but and that's how Cassandra lays it out as well. Like, I want this full-on, courted, beautiful romance with somebody, and if you're not looking for that, if you're not at my stage in life, bro, get out. Like, mm-hmm. that's a power statement. But like as as powerful as that is and as strong as she is, it's also so vulnerable to literally like she cracked her chest open and was like, please, I want to be wooed. I want romance. I know I don't look like the stereotypical girly girl who wants candlelit dinners, but I do. And I also love her for that because there's just so many, so many positives to Cassandra. And that's one of them. I think that one of the things that I appreciate about Inquisition, and I think that it really 
has a moment of like this has gone on in other games with romances is like inquisition gives you the opportunity to like actually have dates with people like before you just okay well bang okay you know and so i really appreciate that and cassandra was one of those where you like actually had to woo her and even sarah like you have to go around one of the things i did like about sarah is going around to each of the companions and being like i need a gift for sarah and then just i just like that idea that you know we'll get to the dancing with colin and doing all of the things around like i just appreciate that about inquisition two birds with one stone for me because it's like that you get more content that's not just straight up like a sex scene but also it's including at least for sarah's like it's including the people around you in the game the other companions it makes your relationship feel more real when they comment on it when it's like acknowledged in the world outside of your cutscenes. i just love that when that happens so please more of that Yes. And I do think it's more immersive too to the mm-hmm. game because it makes it feel less like a game and more like, okay, yeah, like this is actually what a real person would do. Like this is a fully fleshed out character, not just a check mark in a box or, okay, I passed the dice roll. Like it's actually a little bit more than that. And I do appreciate that too. Yeah. Speaking of that, one of my favorite uh, companion ambient dialogues is in a Cassandra romance with the Iron Bull, if you have him in there. And you're like walking around and Cassandra is like distracted or whatever. And she's like, huh? And Iron Bull just goes, ah, you were too busy staring at that inquisitive butt. Oh, <laughs> I love it when it's the other way around, when you're in a relationship with the Iron Bull and Bull asks Cassandra if the Inquisitor can borrow her armor for some fun play. <laughs> I've never heard that one. That's hilarious. Yeah, I, I saw that one on YouTube and she immediately was like, absolutely not. And he's like, we've cleaned it afterwards. And she's like, no, <laughs> which I don't blame her for saying no, because how how random, but a hilarious dialogue. Yeah. I really um, like how proper Cassandra is and like how flustered she gets when things are not done properly. But she's also not because she's literally reading swords and shields. She just she wants everybody else to think she's proper when behind the scenes and when she's in private, she's not like that. I don't think personal opinion, I guess. No, I agree with that. I think she's totally a lady on the streets, but a freak in the bed. Yes. Relatable. Also, isn't Swords and Shields based off Abilene? Yes. I don't know if it's actually canonically. I mean, the the character art is, but it's definitely canonically 100% smut. Yeah. But I do think that it is based on Abilene. Like, don't they talk about that, though? I don't remember. I know. I I really don't remember. I feel like Abilene would kick Varric's ass, though. But I feel I like Varric would do it just to piss off Abilene. Also, probably. Yeah, I mean, I do think the main love interest's name is something like Donnan or something. And Aveline's romance person is Donick. So, yeah, I feel like it's safe to say yes. Um, Also, now that we have covered all of the romances, I can officially state that for me personally, in my opinion, Cassandra has the most sensual non-sex sex scene out of all of them and i absolutely loved it yeah i do agree with that and i'm pretty sure she is the first like full frontal scene in dragon age 
not include like of a companion not including the inquisitor well i mean but. sarah 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 shows yes. her tits yeah i don't, I don't remember I she bounces up and down on you that you definitely see titty you see sarah's titties and your inky's titties yeah. but i feel like i feel like if solace had not broken up with you in that scene it would be right there with cassandra's for sensuality like who else mm. they both have such romantic scenes you're like in this firefly lit waterfall area versus cassandra's got like this candlelit forest they're both great except for one ends very happily and the other doesn't yeah <laughs> so cassandra wins basically is what i'm saying <laughs> i am remembering that you're saying that Cassandra wins. Okay. All right. So moving on to Miss Josephine. This one is adorable. And I wish that I could like duel for her each time, but then like not actually be in the romance. Like that's what I want. I want that option in the game. I have a confession to make. I really, really, really don't like the Josephine romance. Mm. Tell I us, tell us. it's cute yes it's very cute and i'm not i don't think it's badly written i think it's very well written and i don't even necessarily think it's out of character i just was expecting something different i guess and it it also just frustrates me again <laughs> i feel like i'm a broken record here but like when you romance her as a woman it's a chaste romance and i guess it is in both genders but like it's just frustrating to me that so many of the lesbian romances in this game are lackluster or non-existent in Cassandra's case. Um, so that turned me off to it when I, when I romanced her with my Trevelyan inquisitor. And I just, I just was kind of bored and I know that's a hot take, but go watch this in any Disney movie. I don't need it in my game too. And I know that that's like a personal preference and this is mostly a personal preference and it just, you know, isn't my thing. Um, so I didn't love her romance. You also did her romance. You decided that you were going to ride the bull and then do her romance, which I think was a mistake. That's fair. I, I did do that. You know mm. what took me out of it is the dueling scene. And this to me is like, while she is a bi character, I feel like they still wrote her romance from the point of view of a male romancee, male player. Because when you, if you ever watch the duel scene and the character is like an elf inquisitor or just any woman inquisitor, but especially the elf one because they're physically smaller than humans, they didn't change this cinematic at all when you win the duel and you pick her up and spin her around and you just see this like tiny elf inky and like Josephine as the human woman. And so I'm like, to me, that like kind of, yeah, okay, I can suspend my disbelief enough that like inky elf is so buff that she can pick up Josephine. That's fine. But like, it just looks awkward and looks like it was animated for a male character to do. And I don't even know what it looks like with a male elf because I think they're physically smaller too than like a human male in Inquisition. But it just kind of was silly looking and I wish they had animated it differently for a lesbian romance versus a straight romance. 
I am having chat search it as a dwarf inky to see if they change the scene at all or if they just body morph you to be taller because that well, is going to be thing. like I actually haven't seen a dwarf romance that's a good point because like I don't think a dwarf character could lift Josephine above their head enough to get her feet to like spin off the ground the way it is in the other cinematics so I don't know but that for me was like, oh, that they didn't, I mean, and I understand like a video game is a budgeted project, so I'm sure they didn't have enough money to, to animate separate scenes. I wish they did, though. That's the thing. It's like, that's pretty much the whole point of this podcast is showing how important the romances are and, and studios, mainly publishers, because I think the developers are fighting for this content, but like publishers need to invest in it, too. Mm. Yeah. I also understand that, like, Dwarf is not a popular player character. Like, not a lot of people pick them to begin with. I don't think that's a good enough excuse, personally, especially with Baldur's Gate 3, because you go on TikTok and you can see a little cutscene of, like, all the different animations that Larian made for every single different wild shape that a druid could take to climb up a ladder. And you're like, if they can animate that individual animal, different, like, climbing a ladder cinematics and all these different cinematics for different motions, like... Obviously, it can be done. Like, if one studio can do it, they can do it at another studio. Like, they, it's just a matter of what they're prioritizing and what they're able to get money for, which is ultimately what the publishers are prioritizing, right? Mm-hmm. Which they should they should care about that level of detail because we certainly do. I mean, look where it's got Baldur's Gate 3. Like, it's one of the best games ever made by all accounts. So it pays off. It literally pays off, too, because I'm sure they've made bank with all mm-hmm. of us buying it. Yeah, and I think it would be a little bit remiss if we didn't add, like, this is an effect of crunch. This is an effect of corporations expecting unreasonable standards and and not giving their developers and their writers and their teams enough time and money and space to make the game the way the game should be made. Again, most of you, I believe, have heard my rants about Bioware. So we won't get on that, but I do think that's an unfortunate side effect that we see a lot of in Inquisition because a lot of this stuff was added very late in development. I mean, look at Iron Bull's romance and I think Solace's was added later too. And so it's just kind of like, yeah. And Cullen and I'm sure there's more, we just probably don't know about that. You know, it it could have taken further polishing. It's literally just a matter of money. Like I know for a fact without being someone who ever worked at Bioware, but I know for a fact the people who made this game had so many good ideas and so many things that they had to change or had to take out entirely to fit the budget and fit the timeline. And once again, that's a matter of the people paying for it. What do they want? What do they think is important? What do they think we aren't going to care about? So I hope this becomes more of a priority in future as it seems to be so far. All right. I think before we tangent further on a Bioware uh, pay your people rant, (laughs) let's go into our mid-break. Let's see. Oh, fun fact. So I believe this was yours, V. Oh, yeah. So that's the one thing I want to talk about in the mid-break fact-wise was on our Iron Bowl episode, I don't know if listeners you know on spotify you can leave a question or a comment on each individual episode and it's not a review it's specific to an episode 
and um, Ula, gosh, I forgot the last name. I'm sorry, but Ula left a comment saying that they didn't believe there was any mocap done in Dragon Age. And I had never heard this either, but when we did the Iron Bull episode, I did read that fact on the Dragon Age wiki. And so I Googled, like, was there mocap and who's the source for that? And apparently it was used very minimally. I found a source, which was John Epler, who works at Bioware currently as the creative director on Dreadwolf. He did this series of tweets called like useless facts. And one of them was about the Iron Bowl romance, specifically the sex scene where all of the characters like Colin and Josephine and Cassandra walk in on you. That was mocapped apparently. And also apparently the tower that you're having sex in was created separately. None other romance takes place in that tower because you had to have a doorway and the bedroom for the Inquisitor has stairs, so it couldn't have the people, like, suddenly walking in on you the way they wanted for Iron Bull's romance scene. So they moved the scene to what they called the Sex Tower, and that was based on a tweet by John Epler last February 2023. So while I don't know, because I didn't work for Bioware, that's where I got the source from, so I can only trust what he said on his Twitter about there being motion-captured scenes in Dragon Age Inquisition, because once again, I had never heard that either before, but that is apparently where that came from. That is amazing, and thank you for doing that additional research on that to cite your sources. Yeah, I always have sources available if anyone wants. I alphabetize them and do them in APA format, like the good little ex-college girl I am. So, you know, if anyone wants to know where I got what I said or something... I'm happy to provide. Yes. And uh, speaking of those lovely comments that we get on the episodes for Spotify, Spotify, we are now at 173 ratings. We're finally starting to tick back up again. I appreciate and love you all oh so very, very much. So hopefully uh, within the first couple of months of 2024, We hit 200. That would be amazing. I literally had to look at the computer date to make sure that I said the right year. I am not in a 2024 mindset yet. Uh, If we were on your Spotify wrapped for the year, share it, show it, promote it, tweet it, discord it to us. I want to see it. Last week, we did see one person who showed that we were their top. Thank you, Daddy Bat Knight. I appreciate And then, of course, we also shout out all of our lovely, lovely top-tier patrons. So huge love, major thanks to Toasty and Apollo, Becky and Daddy Bat Knight, Mystios, Muffiny Cake, Mackenzie, and Wynn. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Anything else to add to the middle of the show? Um, Thank you for listening, as usual, and for supporting for those of you on Patreon. And if you can hear my cat's jingle bell, I'm sorry. He's he was a tumor on my lap. I can't I can't change that. <laughs> He's been here the whole time though. No, I haven't heard his jingle bell yet, so you're all good on there. And I have not you're heard good. any of the snip squeaky toys. So you're good. <laughs> There's been a lot of those. <laughs> <laughs> we keep all animal noises in. <laughs> All right, let's get back into it, and we will talk about Dorian. 
<sighs> I love Dorian. I almost bought a $20 keychain off of Etsy. And I'm like, do I need this? I wanted it. I really, really wanted it. I've never even romanced Dorian, and I still wanted this thing. And it was fan art of Dorian in Shibari. And uh, I still think about it to this day, even though I found it over a year ago. If you're thinking about it that much, Jen, you should just go and buy it. But it's in Europe, so I have to pay like $30 shipping to get it here on top of the price of the keychain. Because I almost bought one for me in Kolka. So here's another idea. You take a vacation to Europe in whatever place this keychain is made and order it and get it shipped to you before you leave. Okay. Just a thought. <laughs> I mean, I would love a European vacation, but yeah. yes, <sighs> I kind of need it. Okay. Anyways, Dorian Love, let's talk about him. I have never done this romance. Shock. Really? Mm -mm. There are two romances on this list that I've never done. Oh, Okay. Is the hmm. other one soulless? I swear to God, if the other one's soulless. It is not. No. So you that? should be able to process and eliminate it. It's either Cullen or the bull. No, I think it's Blackwall. No, don't Blackwall. Well, I have no idea. It's the bull. You've never romanced bull? Nope. I just need to like... <laughs> process this first. <laughs> this is news to me i will say that one of the reasons that i have not done these romances is because i really like dory bull mm. Mm. okay i mean that's fair okay so dorian i haven't romanced him either but i really did like it and when we were uh doing all the research on him like we know dorian's a badass and we know that, you know, it takes a lot of courage for him to be so open and living his best life. And the fact that he states that he's like, I am not going to be hidden. I am not going to be anything but who I am. And if that is who you want, then I'm here. Um, but I just need to know what you want. Mm. His morning after the first fucking was a really good one. I think the reason I like Dorian's romance is because I feel like I feel like if you send him back to Tevinter without a romance and or even with Iron Bull, I feel like he is so alone and doesn't have really anyone in his corner. Like he ha he has people and we know that he does have Mavaris, but like his father dies and even they may not have reconciled, even if he did go back. And even if they do reconcile, like their relationship's never going to be healthy or good just because of all the trauma that's there. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure his mom is dead too. Um, and you know, it's not like Tevinter magisterium is really a place to, to grow friendships. Like that's not what Tevinter is all about. And so I just feel like if he doesn't have um, an inquisitor, who's either like really his best friend and they stay in contact or a romanced inquisitor. I just feel like he's so alone and it makes me really sad. That's what I was going to say is like one thing that I love so much about Dorian besides just Dorian in general is I feel like you don't lose out 
on that much knowledge of who he is as a person and content with him if you're just his best friend versus his romance like so many things are locked behind a romance quest line with all these other characters that you don't experience otherwise but not dorian like he still gives which some people might feel like cheated i guess if they romanced him like oh you still get that if you're his friend but like just me as a person thinking of him as a person i love that fact because of what you just said like if you're his best friend he still gives you that sending stone or whatever (laughs) that's maybe that's dungeon dragons what is it like some sending mirror or something you could talk to him for a long time. It's like a necklace. So yeah, it is. but it's, he gives that to you, whether you romance him or you're his best friend. So like he can still call you up and chat with you. And like, it says you still keep in contact. You're still best friends. And I love that. And I love that you still, you still understand who Dorian is as a person the same way. Like you might have obviously more intimate knowledge of him as a romance but like when you're his best friend you still are there supporting him through meeting his dad you're still there supporting him as a gay person from the Tevinter imperium and living his best life like yeah you're not romancing him but like you're his ride or die in that sense and i love that about him like he's not locked away behind a quest line mm-hmm. and like i think it's really easy to write off Dorian because like, oh, he's again, like we get these characters like the Iron Bull and Dorian who are like, these have historically in Dragon Age been the bad guys. These are the bad guys. And I mean, I guess Sten, we have had Sten since the beginning, but it's different. I mean, Sten is a bad guy in Origins. Like he just is. So Dorian to me is like, and I've said this before, probably on this show and definitely on Dragon Age Lorecast, but like Dorian and Miranda Lawson are two sides of the same coin for me because they're both created to be perfect legacies from their fa- from their abusive fathers. And I just really like that. I like the opportunity to whether you're his friend or your romance to be a person in Dorian's life who just says, you be you flaws and all, and it's okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And whether it's Shepard or the Inquisitor, they need that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you get such a good feeling from that. Like you're like, I did something good today. Mm-hmm. Validating someone's existence, mm-hmm. being their friend, regardless. And I also think it's really powerful, just that romance and the point you're making, Austin, for people who maybe have parents who treat them the same way, um, of which there are tons and tons of people like that whose parents expect, you know, a standard that nobody can live up to. So I think it's really powerful and um, something that a lot of people can connect with. I think that always is a major part of who is the most popular romance, why you romance someone is whether or not you can connect with them. I think we would be lying to ourselves if we, we tried to argue that that wasn't a factor because it, it just is. Yeah. Um, and Dorian also is a romance in like, I think unlike a lot of them where you get to actually put meat behind the words you say to him. Like you can stand up to him, to mother Giselle, you can stand up for him to his father. You can do all of these things where you make what you say to him and matter when it really matters for you to take the stand, you can take that stand. Yeah. You can stand up for Dorian in a lot of different ways and it validates him. And it 
makes him flourish. Mm. I don't want to see the playthrough where you completely disregard him and don't really like him. Yeah. And I think also something I want to bring up is I do think that there's a tendency, especially among white women who play this game, people who look like me. um, I think that there is a tendency among us to view Dorian as the sassy gay best friend. Mm-hmm. And he is so much more than that. Not that it's wrong to have a gay best friend. Not that it's wrong to be sassy or fabulous. And he is fabulous. But that is not the sum of who he is. That is not only who he is. He is so much more than that trope. And don't get me wrong. I think tropes can be good um, if they're done well. But I just don't think Dorian fits into this one. I think that he is... I think his story has a lot more like lasting staying power behind it than just being your sidekick. Um, and so I, I just would caution those of us who may have a tendency to, to treat him that way, maybe go and dig a little bit deeper into mm-hmm. who he really is. Absolutely. He, that's definitely his outer layer. His outer layer is the sassy gay yeah. bestie, yeah. but then just beyond that is who he really is. Yeah, yeah. because some of the criticisms for his character I've heard or read online are like all he is is the sassy gay guy trope. Like, oh, he's so flamboyant and he's, you know, like that's all he is because they see his sexuality as defining his character. And David Gator wrote him and he said, yes, his sexuality is a huge part of his character, unlike other characters in Dragon Age, because we've had gay people in dragon age we've had bi people in dragon age before but it didn't impact their personalities it wasn't a part of their character's backstory the way it is with dorian because with dorian it was a way to show how it was it was just like a cathartic moment for i think a lot of gay people seeing him as a version of themselves with the struggle with his dad and the struggle with fitting into his society and how he was able to be himself despite all that and also just flourish, like you said, and, and you could help him do that by supporting him. Like it was necessary for his character to be partially defined by his sexuality, but he is not in whole just a sassy gay mage. Like that is not who he is entirely. Mm-hmm. But I read a story about David Gator saying how so many people, even years later, will write him fan mail specifically about Dorian. And I love that. Like, that must be such a cool feeling to have written a character like that. Yeah. Uh, Before we move on to Cullen, I am going to do my Dorian confession. And that is I treated him very, very abusively in Trespasser DLC because I did not understand what the anchor did. I did not read the tooltips because I was like, I've been playing this game forever. I completely understand how it works. So in order to move past the little areas where you're supposed to anchor away the uh, barrier walls, we'll come to find out that Dorian the Necromancer can walk through that, die, and then re-spiritualize and uh, loot the items on the other side. And then you just revive him back on your side of the wall. So I killed Dorian like 30 times through that playthrough in order to make him walk through those walls. I didn't understand. Okay. Oh my God. That just reminds me of what I watched a TikTok. Apparently, you can murder Asterion before you recruit him. And then 
revive him. And he's like, let's not do that again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, same vibes there. That's hilarious. So I'm sorry I abused the necromancer. Mm. I own up to it. All right. Colin, my poor trauma boy that I just want to hug. Like, I just want to hold him and soothe him in all of his pain. Let's talk about Colin. So Colin was my first romance in this game. um, Because originally I tried to go after Cassandra. And we all know how that worked out for a female um, character. So I ended up with Cullen, which was so interesting because I never like pick the traditional white man blonde. (laughs) (laughs) i will also say i never dated a white blonde guy before you so just saying anyway that is irrelevant to the story um yeah cullen is not the like he you know he's traditional looking like he is like oh yeah the stereotypical like cute white boy like you know you know what he's handsome Yes, yes. Um, And I just like wasn't expecting to go after him. But I don't know something about it, something about his smile and his hair and his glow up. Let's be real here for a minute. And also the sad puppy dog look in his eyes. I don't know. It just got me. You mean the glow up from his ramen noodle hair getting cooked? (laughs) I was about to say, like, (laughs) that's a thing in Korean. It's called ramen mori, mori meaning hair. And I'm like, I saw his hair. I'm like, he's got the ramen perm. Like... (laughs) The early so 2000s Justin Timberlake. Yeah, it was not yeah. good. It actually took me a minute to realize he was the same Cullen when I first played Inquisition because he looked that different to me. Right, yeah. And I think that Inquisition is hot or cold when it comes to model changes. Tegan, um, but <laughs> I think with Cullen for me, what really like sells him for me is that it's such a moment of redemption of this man who we've walked through all three games. One of the few characters that is in all three games, no matter what choices you make. Um, And so I just really like Cullen in that, like this moment of redemption. There are also like some of these romances, I'm like, some of them are locked in that like, to their race but i think some of them are class like i think cullen's romance is best experienced if you're a mage Mm. um Mm. and i just like i think the iron bull is best experienced if you are not uh i think it can be good if you are a kunari with a talvashoth but i think it's best experienced if you're not um and I'll talk about that with Bull, but I just think that Colin, especially with a mage romanced Inquisitor, is a moment of like challenge to him. And like in his darkest moment, he's lashing out. And you as the Inquisitor can be like, Do you mean me? Like, I'm a mage. Like, I am a member of these people that you're talking about. And he has to stop. And I just really appreciate again a moment of like them being able to grow and change because of the relationships that they're having. Mm. My favorite line that we talked about during the Colin romance was giving him the choice of what he wanted to do with the lyrium. 
you know, when you're not romanced and you're just friends with him, you tell him what to do. But with the romance option, you get to ask what he wants. And that felt so important and so meaningful in that moment. Yeah, because like Colin's like a story of loving someone through addiction. But it's I think even his larger character arc is overcoming prejudice and deprogramming because, you know, he's raised in Thetis. He's raised in Ferelden where mages are evil. And then he was wanting to be a Templar since what he was 12 years old and he was and that's what he learned and you can see he was even like radicalized in Kirkwall by Knight Commander Meredith and for him to have been like her second in command to now romancing a mage potentially is so cool to see because it's like very it's such a hopeful story if you pursue that path with him once like we're definitely going to talk about this when we get to Baldur's Gate, but like just because a game gives you an option and gives you a path in the story does not necessarily make it the best or right one. Um, and in Cullen's case, I mean, you're just plain wrong if you don't tell him to stop taking Lyrium. That's a stupid choice. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I do think, I do think when we think about terms of like representation in games, we think primarily of race, right? And gender um, and LGBT whatever you may identify as or whatever you are, I should say. But we don't often think about, you know, other types of representation like addiction. Um, And I think that that is really important for people to see, not that necessarily every person wants to see what they may struggle with on the screen, but to present a story of a person overcoming something like that, I think is really, really powerful. And so I really appreciate that they included it. And I also feel like if you are a mage romancing Cullen, I do feel like it's kind of the height of his character arc, as you were talking about, Austin, because it's like, okay. And especially if you also, as a mage, are saying, no, don't take delirium, because it's like, number one, he's overcoming his issues to be able to be in a relationship with a person who is a magic user. And number two, he is getting off delirium. And so he's like achieved all of the things that are causing him trauma. He has like moved past all of these things and he's, he has like achieved the state of like actuality um, of like your issues while you had them, while you may still deal with things like you've moved past that stuff. And that's, I think that's just something to be applauded. Um, And so I love that. Well, one thing I like about Cullen is that, the authenticity of like romancing someone through addiction, but not making this like codependent thing. Like Colin gets through it on his own. Like Mm. he has you there to support him, but it is an achievement. You aren't the one that like, he's like, Oh, I never would have made this without you. He's like, no, I'm going to do this because I want to be with you, but because I want to be better for myself. And I just really appreciate them not, portraying the trope of codependency that we sometimes see in like romance and addiction and media Mm. yeah i think it actually worked out because it's like you encourage him because he's already made the choice to stop by the time it's brought up to you it's not like you've convinced him to stop you just convince him or at least encourage him with your dialogue to stay off of it and i think that's important too because it's like he's shown to have a support system which is why you get if you do that you're rewarded with the happily ever after 
which mm. obviously doesn't necessarily translate every time to the real world, but it's very, very cathartic to see that in a story where it's like almost a simple like equation, like a fairy tale is what I think of Colin when like, yeah, there's darker elements. It's like a Grimm's fairy tale with, but it still ends up happily ever after when you've encouraged him to stay off Larium and then you get married and trespasser and you get a nice Mabari warhound and it's just lovely. I'm low-key jealous of people who romanced Cullen. Uh, I also, going off of what Austin was saying about the support system and what you were saying too, V, I love that the Inquisitor is not the only support person. Like, Cassandra's in on it. And I believe, like, Varric has some party banter lines. You know, like, everybody is there to support him in this decision. So it's not like my sobriety is dependent on the Inquisitor, which Mm -hmm. is amazing. And that's really true for the Inquisitor. I think as as Dragon Age games go, the Inquisition companions are the ones who feel the closest knit like a family. Like, yes, Dragon Age 2 has their own brand of chaos and trauma bonding. But like, I feel like through ambient dialogue, and maybe this is just like a moving forward in gaming and Inquisition is a more planned out game than Dragon Age 2 was. But like, they really feel like people who care about what's going on in each other's lives. Like even that of like, you know, Solus and Bull playing chess in their chess in their mind throughout all of that. Like they just, they develop their own personalities with each other, which I really appreciate. And I think that we see that in Cullen, like, even just like, you know, Josie and Liliana acting like his sisters who tease him all the time. And like, well, these noble women, they want to marry you. You see Liliana and Colin like actually playing chess mm-hmm. is one of his. And then you kind of move in and play with him. And that's what I like too, is it's not like all of them just revolving around the son of the player character. They definitely have their own friendships and you can catch them having little moments wandering around Skyhold. And I love that so much. I wish that was in more games. Um, so I remember what I was going to say. <laughs> um, another thing that I love about Cullen's romance is really how it shines a light on what the Templars go through as a whole, like lore wise. And I think Cassandra has a line about this. That's something to the effect of like the mages have made their suffering public, but the Templars never have. Um, and so, you know, before I played Inquisition, like I was a Templar hater, still kind of am, but like, I think that Cullen's story gives us a lot of empathy um, for the Templars because like at the end of the day, the individual Templar people who are suffering, like they're not, they're not the bad guys. Like, yeah, they do bad things for sure. But like, it's the system that is really the oppressive institution here. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I do appreciate that also about Cullen's romance. And I think you see that mostly in the romance because he opens up a bit more about what he goes through versus just somebody who's a friend. Yeah, Um, for sure. I would say this. You heard it here from the Dragon Age lore cast on the Two Girls, One Ship. Hate the real enemy. Hate the Chantry. Hate the (laughs) Orwegian Empire. Hate the Taventer Imperium. Cheers to that. Yep down with the sickness anyway um (laughs) i was just gonna say (laughs) everyone's actions make sense to them and that's what i love about games like this that provide you context for why someone's doing something and it makes it hard to tell 
who the actual evil person is because not it's not really ever a person unless it's Casador from Baldur's Gate 3 um you know what I mean like it's usually a collection of people an organization of some kind like it's not one person who's bad they are doing something that they think makes sense at that's the only way it can we can rationalize romancing a Ben Hasrith agent or a former Templar when we were all I think we all were Templar haters who played Origins and who played Dragon Age 2 because I mean I'm not really sure what the stats are and who picked Templars over mages when Anders was your companion but you didn't have any Templar companion you know like it's just mm-hmm. a great way to blur the lines and make you question about like what are people's actual motivations and who is the real enemy and like one thing that I think is unique to Inquisition from the other games is that all of our companions are like the Inquisition isn't this like some renowned hero and then here are their companions who are their sidekicks like each companion and advisor and of themselves is a force of nature in their realm like Dorian is going to be a Taventure Magister Cullen is a former knight captain of the templar order and his commander of the inquisition forces like all of these people are extremely important it's like the a team of thetis and so i think with with that you lead to of course they have different relationships and they're and they're complex because a lot is riding on them to make the right choices um which I think makes it feel like more like a group effort because everyone has these huge choices that they have to make. Yeah. We did assemble the A-team in Inquisition. That's... And speaking of choices, what do you... Tell us your real thoughts on Solus. Okay, so... Wait, 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 wait. Earlier today... Austin told me, Austin promised me that he would not, quote, hate on Solus the whole time. So I just needed to set the stage with that. Go ahead. Proceed. Okay. So I just want to, like, I have my own issues with Solus, mainly because I do not think he's a good person. I do not think he's telling the whole truth of what is going on. But I also don't think Mithal was a good person either. And so there are, I think they're both in cahoots with everything that's going on. But Solus from a romance perspective, and this is why it's really not for me. Um, It reads like a Victorian romance novel. To you. To me. And like the sharing you know charged looks from across the room and what i'm just you're funny as oh. well. and anyway so like that's kind of where it is it's not so yeah so it's just it's not for me um and as far as like for me like it's the similar thing of like i feel like solace holds all the power in the relationship and Maybe this is showing my bias of being a man raised in the world, um, but it it doesn't. It's not fun for me to be with someone who I feel like holds all the power in the relationship. Like I feel like Solus is constantly setting the terms of what needs to happen, and 
it's it's different for me with Cassandra because I feel like Cassandra is inviting you to participate in what she expects in a relationship versus I sometimes feel like Solus is telling you what your relationship is going to be like, which is not for me. I follow that path a lot. Like I really do. Um, with Cassandra, it's like, this is the type of relationship I'm looking for. Are you in? And with Solus, it's like, this is what, it, this is going to be like whether you like it or not because you can't really change his mind towards anything else you can't really change cassandra's mind towards a different type of romance either um but oh cassandra's more inviting I think, I think you guys are thinking of it from the point of view of you already know who solace is and what's going to happen mm-hmm. when what you need to do is think about it from the point of view of the Lavellan who romanced him which is she knows what she knows when she knows it and as far as she knows like he's incredibly open to her and to us like even with our retrospect we still can see how much he said without saying the whole truth to her so it feels genuine because it is genuine I mean we have confirmation that it is but it feels very genuine throughout the romance I don't think in the couple scenes you get with him that are actually romance scenes, I don't think he's ever saying like, this is how I am. Take it or leave it. He's just saying like, I don't think it's wise to be in a relationship, which to me as someone who's like, yeah, the world's on fire. Like that, that's a reasonable reaction to, to consider. It's like, this probably isn't the best time for a romance. Other people might say, this is the best time for a romance. We need some kind of stress relief, AKA iron bulls type of romance. But just on the other hand, that is also a reaction I think is realistic is saying like, this is a terrible time to start this. We don't know in the moment. Lavellan doesn't know he's saying that because he's Ben Harrell, you know, like we don't know that. So we go through this romance, we go through this year, 18 months, however long Inquisition is, before he finally breaks up with you at the end, like, where you guys are on it. Like, he calls you Mavanan, like, my heart. He's in a relationship with you. He loves you. He says that openly. I don't think he's ever saying, like, no, this is me. Take it or leave it. He's just hesitant, which I think she has a ton of power with him because she especially the first kiss like she physically turns his head and kisses him first you know he did not instigate it and then he reciprocated obviously and that happened on the balcony scene too like she was open her arms are back she like pushed her bust up into him and was like yes i'm here kiss me and then you know she did and he did and he tried to leave again and it was all that but i mean when you think of it from that point of view it's it doesn't seem like a bad romance like you were in it up until you weren't which is why i think it's justified to react with a lot of anger it's one of the dialogue options when he breaks up with you but at the same time i would never hit somebody so i don't personally choose that dialogue option she like shoves him or whatever but yeah i don't know at at that point then i'm like yeah you can tell (laughs) oh shoot he lied I still, I, Shelby said it a long time ago, I think on the Solus episode I was on with you guys, where you said you respected him for never actually sleeping with you, unlike Blackwall, who did sleep with you under a false pretense. So I do think that's also a pro in Solus. Like, yeah, I, I mean, I don't understand his frame of mind at all. I don't understand his motivations. I know they make sense to him. And I know that the world he came from is not something 
the people of Thetis nowadays can comprehend. So I don't, it's just weird. I think it's a very unique and interesting romance where like these two people from literally different worlds like connected in such an intimate way without fully connecting in an intimate way. But you know, like it's just really interesting. Where else can you romance the actual antagonist? Um, I agree with you, Verbata. I I get the soulless romance. I've done it. I understand the allure. I get it completely. It's not like my canon romance, but I absolutely 100% understand soulless mancers. But I have three things, three points. I wrote them down so I wouldn't forget any this time. Um, the first thing that I think about this romance is when you look at it from an in-universe lore perspective, as a Dalish elf... When you meet Solus, he has so much knowledge about your culture that, of course, that would have to be so enticing as any anybody, um, because he has so much more knowledge than you have probably ever heard your entire life. So on that level, again, I get it. Uh, secondly, if Solus in the games looked like his original artwork i would be down so bad for this man okay like game over yes goodbye cassandra like i would be down bad for solace yes um unfortunately he is an egg yes like (laughs) i just like don't understand the dichotomy like how did we go from that to this i don't know um, that's something that I wanted to bring up. But my third thing is, um, kind of going back to what you were saying, Bravada, about the episode on our podcast is the thing about godhood, um, in, in retrospect is what kind of squicks me out a little bit because like he is a God, he has all this power. He hides that from you. And so I just feel like there's a consent issue there. That's like, very gray to me like if and uh, also with blackwall too um if you're like lying about you who you are entirely hiding your whole entire personality like not your personality but like your identity um i just don't feel like that's okay i don't feel like that's ethical and i know that in the game you don't have sex canonically um although obviously soulless mancers say oh well we did we just didn't we just didn't see it on screen um i just i just i just feel weird about it uh because i think and i think perhaps this is probably why they didn't include a sex scene with the soulless romance because i do think it can be it's just a little weird um when you think about like the power imbalance that you might have uh, with somebody who's that much more powerful and maybe not status, but no. I don't know. No, just I, when you were saying that I had a thought, so my, my two, it's not like a counterpoint because I don't have an opinion. Like we've been writing stories about humans or mortals having sex with gods since the dawn of time. Like we're just fascinated mm-hmm. with that idea. Um, which, yeah, obviously there's, issues there like look how many freaking bastard zeus children walked around ancient greece so but anyway like with solace specifically my thing is is one he has knowledge like he's mentally that age but i'm not sure because he woke up he couldn't even unlock his own orb like he's not 
at full power when you know him and when you fall in love and you have a piece of his power in your hand which i don't know i have no opinion on whether or not that makes it better or not i just wonder if that changes something like because he really isn't that much more powerful than you at the time like you he can't close the rifts and you can which then eventually he does get back up to at least close to what his old power used to be by trespasser because he can gorgon people to stone and take your hand away which at that point you're not together anymore. So, I mean, I feel like he strives to do the right thing and he just fucks it up constantly, mm-hmm. which is evidenced by the veil existing, you know? <laughs> then that's why his name is Solus. Like, his pride will be his downfall. I hope not death, death, but you never know. We'll see what happens. Yeah, and I think for me, I will just add, I think it's weird in the Greek mythology too, like to have a literal God having sex with a mortal. I think that's weird. It freaks me out. So I'm just being consistent for myself. Yeah, I mean, I think 99% of those stories were assaults. Yes. Not consensual sex. So yeah, I agree. There is a huge, because I cannot sit here and say it's fine for Solas to romance Lavellan when I'm like, fraternization all throughout mass effect you know like there is a power imbalance here it's not okay and in most cases you're the inquisitor and someone's answering to you but in this case it's like an actual demigod or god or how whoever like he says they were just powerful mages but like half of the shit we know about arlathan were from solus's mouth so Mm -hmm. i don't know maybe it's true yeah i mean we we recorded our podcast episode for next week today and literally talked about the same exact thing of like, can we believe Solus? Uh, how much of what Solus says can we believe? And I think that we talked about, you know, Patrick Weeks, Solus's writer, has said like Solus doesn't explicitly lie to you. He just twists the truth and changes it, changes its meaning so you think it's about something different. So I personally just like am not in the habit of taking anything Solus says as fact because who knows how it might change. And so I I personally don't subscribe to the theory that the Evanuris are just powerful mages. And frankly, even if they are just powerful mages, functionally, they function as gods in the society. So at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. You're accurate. Yeah. No, I agree 100%. I think, once again, I'm I'm trying not to be a hypocrite. I still like it. Once it, like, whole experimentation with sexuality aspect of video game romances also includes role-playing things that you probably wouldn't want or could not exist in real life. And yeah. romancing a god is something I think most people would be intrigued by, but maybe not in real life. Like, There's how many romance novels written from that because there is something so delicious about the idea of bringing such a powerful being to heal with the power of your pussy or your love. However, (laughs) you know, very appealing. So you just described every Fae romance novel. Yeah, exactly. Which Sarah J. Moss. Yeah, Sarah (laughs) J. Moss. Literally everyone in Kindle Unlimited. Like, Uh exactly. Yeah, I'm like, I don't want it to come across as if I dislike the soulless romance, because again, I get it. I like it. I think it's very Shakespearean. Um, I think it's very classic in terms of tropes, in terms of the story plot points. Victorian romance. Yeah, it's very Victorian. I also personally like, I enjoy um, angry breaking up with soulless. Like when he initiates the breakup and you choose the angry responses. I like that. That's fun. 
it's sad, sure, also, for sure. But I do think there's just something really satisfying about playing Inquisition and romancing Solus. Um, so I haven't spoken since the beginning of this conversation. Uh, Go ahead. <laughs> but I think that, like, I just want to say here for the show, for everyone, that I do not hate Solus. Um, he's not even in my top 10 most hated Dragon Age characters, which I did a list of somewhere in the Discord. No idea where it is, but I know Solus God. didn't make the top 10. I actually think Anders didn't even make the top 10. Um, I'm pretty sure he did, but... Yeah, I was like, I'm ahead. pretty sure he did. I was there for that. Anyway. <laughs> but Solus, for me, it's, again, it's just not for me, the romance style. It's not really what I want out of when I romance someone. Um, I think Solus has a lot to offer lore-wise, and I think that there are moments, especially in the romance, where we you do get to see more of his compassionate side versus you do and like you get a little bit especially in the um his companion quest with the spirit you get a lot of his compassion and a lot of things i still want to know why solace hates the gray warden so much just want to know why he has like a disproportional response to the gray wardens versus everyone else um and i think that it is I think that we can't leave with Solus without talking about there are a lot of like criticisms of Solus being racist, especially towards the Dalish elves, or towards dwarfs, towards Kunari. Um, and you can change his mind a little bit, both as a friend and as a romance. But I think one time you have to experience that like Solus is wrong for what he says about those races. Like he is wrong for those, but he is also dealing with a world that he no longer understands where none of these races were thousands of years removed from the world he knew. And so nothing looks like it's kind of like Javik saying the Solarians used to eat flies. Oh my God. And like, you can't love fix Javik at all. Like he mm-hmm. just stays the same. That's what I think is like, it's less for me about racism and more about Solus just has contempt for the entire world as it is now and everyone included in it. And you can make him realize he's wrong, which is a testament to whatever character he has left or whoever he really is. You know what I mean? Like, it's impressive to me that someone so prejudiced and prideful and set in his ways could at all even admit that he is wrong. It's and he does. He literally says those words to you. So. There is, that's why I still will appreciate Solus as a character and as a romance because there is that little chance of redemption there by him admitting he's wrong in Trespasser and before that. So I will not lose hope. And also I think Solus Mancers have a unique place in this next game, potentially, I hope, that, that it might impact something in Dreadwolf that non-romanced Inquisitors for Solus, maybe don't get. At least that's my hope, holding on to this for 10 years almost now, so we'll see. All right. Okay. My thoughts on the Solus romance. Hmm. I think that Solus and I got off on the completely wrong foot in the very beginning because I played as Kunari, and he called me a savage, and it was so reminiscent to the way that Fenris treated me in DA2 that I was just like, yep, yeah, nope, rub me the wrong way out the gate. I'm probably not going to like you. 
So it took me a really long time for me to even start raising Solus's um, likability. It wasn't until Vivienne started making my man call her ma'am that I was like, yep, nope, you are no longer the caster in my party, Vivienne. You're out. So I started bringing Solus along and Solus treated... Iron Bull with much more respect than he treated me. And so I was like, okay, fine. You can hang around for a little bit more. And that's when I started to turn my idea. By the end of the game, Solus and I were total besties. He's just not the romance option for me. It's, it's not who... I totally get it. And the more that you talk about him, I totally understand it from your, from your point of view. But for me, even on my first mostly blind playthrough, I just didn't like Solus because he treated me like a complete and utter asshole because of my race. Mm, he can be an asshole for sure. And it gets worse if you're mean to him, too. But he doesn't give you any benefit to being nice to him at first if he's acting like that. So you have to be the one to give out the olive branch, you know? Yeah. Some people don't want to do that, and that's fine. Okay. I think we can end the soulless chat on there. And on that note, don't be an asshole, and he will learn to be nice to you. <laughs> yeah. It's rule number five in our Discord server. Don't be an asshole. Uh, rule number one on like a lot of chats that I'm in, Discord servers, even this Twitch chat. Uh, rule number one is don't be a dick. And try to live by that. Except in video games, because it's the one place where I go, if I'm playing a male character, if I have a dick, I'm going to be a dick. You can swing it. Swing it around. Oh my god, I had way too much fun when Jiggle Mechanics came out. But that is a completely (laughs) different topic. Uh, Well, I mean, Jiggle Mechanics with the Iron Bull, that kind of fits. Jiggle Mechanics and swinging from chandeliers are all things you can do when you romance the Iron Bull. Yes. (laughs) Yes, they are. Another time with Inquisitor titties being out. Uh, I love that. I mean, bull titties are out 24-7. His pillowy man bosom. Why do I feel like him and Drax from Guardians of the Galaxy would really get along? I feel like Drax or like Bull would teach Drax like about metaphors. Like he would be so annoyed at Drax not understanding metaphor. And would be like, no, we're going to sit down and we're going to understand this because I'm being hilarious and you're not getting it. Yeah, I feel like he would have to explain what ride the bull means. Like, that would be hilarious. I would pay money to see that. Yes. And now I need to stop thinking that. Okay. Anyways, um, beautifully done. I think that this is one of the best representations that we have in a, from a AAA studio in an RPG that is not a visual novel of a relationship dynamic like this i i i love it it's amazing and but i kind of also spent an hour and a half talking about it already so i'm gonna let other people talk about it um i'll just say go first and say i really love the bull romance um especially just like Again, we've talked a lot about boundaries this episode, and he is very clear in his boundaries, and then they change, and you have a conversation about it. You have multiple conversations about it, and that's awesome. I love that that's depicted. Um, But I will say, Vervada, listening to your thoughts on the episode um, was a little bit enlightening, because I know you don't necessarily like love this romance, 
Um, and I can definitely understand that for, for some people, it, it may not be for everyone. Um, but I do still like bull. And I think that he is, I think he is a great person to kind of like expand our view of the Cunari from a lore perspective, because like, we just, we have archetypes of them before we meet iron bull. Like, okay. Yeah. We see the Arashok and Sten. And neither of them open up very much. So we really ain't got much to go on anyway. So I think that Iron Bull is a great person, a great character that opens that up. Um, and hopefully we'll get more um, Kunari lore in the next game. For sure. I loved the fact that we got to know a lot more about like Iron Bull is another one that I feel like is along the lines of Garrus, where it's like Garrus is a bad Turian because he's not good at following Turian law. Um, and iron bull, if you go down the, the chargers path, he's not a very good Kunari. He's not a good Kune member anymore. And so to get his perspective on what the Kune was, what it meant to him and how important it is, is a really good viewpoint. We don't get that at all. Along the lines of the Iron Bull romance, Shelby, we have a mutual friend on Discord who once told me that she had been questioning things in her own real life until the moment that Bull shoved her up against the wall and she gasped alongside her Inquisitor and solidified some things in her mind. And I was like, yeah, 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 I, I know. I know that feeling. Mm-hmm. That's very relatable. Very, very relatable. It did nothing for me. Um, I did have a question. I forgot to mention this in his episode. And I don't know how you guys will think about this, but because I don't really know if it's worth criticizing the game for, but there were a few people who said they didn't like that the safe word Kato was given as an option, but that you never say it. It's like rewarded almost for never saying it. Like Cole alludes to that in a ambient dialogue of how like it's a brighter burst. So she doesn't say it for her and for you or whatever the gender is because Bill is pan. But, and cause people are like, you know, in a real BDSM relationship, especially with someone who had never been involved in that type of relationship before, they would probably be saying their safe word fairly frequently or at least once or twice while they're learning how, it is what the feelings are like, what the boundaries are. Maybe they won't feel safe immediately because the trust hasn't built up enough yet in the beginning. And to treat it like a sort of goalpost of like, oh, I just need to not say it to prove my worth to Bull as kind of painted as a good thing in the game. People didn't like that, but I'm like, okay, well, let's just be happy we have BDSM in a main RPG game. Like, let's start here. You know what I mean? But I am not at all versed in that world, so I didn't even know if that was something worth criticizing or not. But I see Jen has so many thoughts. Oh, yes. Yes, I do. Oh, my God. This is amazing. So that that is a very good critique of this. And the fact that Bull gives you one safe word for full stop is a criticism. Most relationships that I know of um, have a multi-level step, um, especially the color coding system. You assume the light is always green. Yellow is you are approaching a limit, so we can stay at this point, but don't push me further. And red is okay, that has gone beyond a limit. That is your kato, that is your stop. Now, 
so that, you know, giving only giving the option of the stop you've gone too far is I think there should have been a yellow card in there somewhere. There should have been a, I like this, but don't go further. Uh, but it's also a testament to Bull's skill level because I could see it as Bull is only going to push you as far as where he knows that you can go because he's done this before. He's comfortable in the systems. He's obviously, you're not his first. So he knows where to start people at. He knows where mm -hmm. to progress people to. He knows where a lot of people's limits are. And then we'll slowly test them and push them out further. I guess yeah. that tracks with the I'll give you what you need dialogue. Mm -hmm. And I think that part of it is also just from a mechanic standpoint, like the more options you give, the more lines that one of their more expensive voice actor mm -hmm. has to voice and just from other standpoints. And so they were trying to give like something that would probably be rewarding for someone who does have experience with a BDSM. I don't say that right. Uh, relationship so that they can experience it to the way that they would want to do that. So they did that in the way that would be cost effective. And that's probably my guess. Of why my, yeah. That was my first reaction when I read that was like, well, is that expecting too much from a video game? Like the fact that it even exists in the first place, like with all of the different moving parts that go into these having dialogue wheels or dialogue choices and different animations and stuff it's like i mean there are certain things that we can and should expect them to include like cinematic differences between body types and having different body types at all represented those are things that we should have but as far as like the intricacies of bdsm like safe words or watch words as he called it like having a yellow light one and a red light one i mean i don't know like if that is feasible or if they can do it or if it matters as much in the context of the game because like you said it does fit in with his character to exactly read you and he literally says i'll give you what you need like in right before it starts mm -hmm. so i think it, it you know i i understand it as a criticism but i don't think anyone should be taking any game relationship and completely translating it to real life as a good example of such a relationship and using it as like valid reference to pull from I don't think you should be doing that at all. It's a story and it's meant to, mm -hmm. you know, you can learn from it a little, but it's mainly meant to like give you an emotional high or low, some kind of catharsis, some kind of like living vicariously. That's really what stories do. And I think from another standpoint to this criticism, like I know we joke, but these games are not dating simulators. Like that is not their purpose. That is not their main point like as much as we love the romances they're like a very close like secondary thing to the main purpose of the game mm -hmm. um, like they're big deals and i like them in the games and i like them fleshed out and all of that stuff but i also want to go and cast fireballs on dragons like i don't want to spend all my time in a dating simulator because i'm married and i can just go on a date <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I think to, to kind of pick up on that a little bit, I think that this criticism is a little bit nitpicky. Um, and I think as, as gamers, we have a tendency to be nitpicky about the things that we want to criticize. 
because I don't necessarily feel like the dialogue from Cole that I think you're referencing implies that, oh, well, it's a good thing if you hold out. I think that it's just Cole commenting on the fact that internally, sometimes the Inquisitor is like, oh, should I say it? I don't know. No, let's keep going. So I don't necessarily think that it's implying all of that. I think it's reading into it a little bit much. Yeah, I can go down a huge path about what I think was happening when Wait. Cole figured out this. What? My other question was, when if you say, because I couldn't find this out when I looked briefly, but if you say Kato to him, does it end the relationship with nope. Iron Bull or just the scene? Just the scene. Okay. Yep. Just the scene, not the relationship. So it's not like a stop means stop forever. It's just a... Well, yeah. It's serving its purpose, though, which is what he said it would do, which is stop. Yeah. Oh, I have been rewatching Project Runway and just because it's a total comfort show and I love all the fashion from it. There's a designer who was on a season and then was also on the current all-star seasons that I'm watching right now. And her name is Coteau. And so I am, I've heard this name like 500 million times in the last week. Coteau, Coteau, Coteau. And I'm like, quit saying Coteau. I've been dying all week. It's like So... I've been dying to know how this Project Runway line was going to tie in. Um, but I'm I, i I'm curious, is it like a pen name? Like, is it her actual name or is it, do you think, a Dragon Age reference? No, no, no. She's a Liberian and it's spelt differently okay. than the word. They just, pr they pronounce it Kato, but it has like an R in it. It's like Kortoa and, but she, she pronounces it as Kato. Gotcha. Sad, but okay. Yeah, no, it's not a reference. <laughs> but yeah. So there we go. We will Kateau here. Uh, cops, shout out everything that you guys do. Yeah, so we um, are the co-hosts of the Dragon Age Lorecast, obviously, as I hope you've deduced from this episode. Um, and we are also the co-hosts of the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. So if you are interested in the lore of Dragon Age or Assassin's Creed, definitely come check us out. We release episodes weekly, and we have our own Discord server, which is, um, as we've discussed, very reactive, a little bit crazy, and just generally a really good time. So come on over. If you enjoy video games of any kind, come hang out with us. Um, I do always say it's the best place on the internet, and I, I do genuinely believe that. Um, so come hang out with us. It the link is in all of our episode descriptions. You can find us on all the podcatchers. All right. And if you like what you're hearing, please be sure to leave a review on iTunes on all of our shows and on Spotify and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can now find me on the Cyberpunk Lorecast with my co-host Toasty, where we explore the foundations of the past, the state of Night City today, and the news of the future for all things cyberpunk. Be sure to check out Scyther Audio's newest fan-made production, The Avengers, the audio drama, where you can find me and a bunch of our friends as the voice actors. And you can reach me in our Two Girls, One Ship channel on the Robots Radio Discord and in the Cup server. Uh, I am Warden Commander. And come give us a follow on all the social medias on and on Patreon.com slash Two Girls, One Ship. Our theme music was composed by the ever-talented Pipe Man Studios. 
and our artwork was designed by the esteemed Let's Not. Links to those are in the description. You can also find me on the Robots Radio Discord and on our own Two Girls, One Ship Discord server, which is way less active than the Dragon Age one, but still fun sometimes because we nerd out on all our favorite CGI significant others. Be sure to check out our live streams on Twitch on Fridays at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 7.30 p.m. Pacific Time. Our podcast episodes release on Mondays because we need at least one good thing on a Monday. So thanks for listening, and remember... Beauty is in the eye of the controller. Welcome to Three Count Thoughts. Let me introduce the crew real quick. Hi, I'm Maverick Stone. I'm Romer. And I'm Jaxus. Join us as we talk all things wrestling. Each week, we'll take a topic from the wrestling world, knock it around a bit, and then go over the week in wrestling from a strictly fan perspective. We can be found on all major podcast catchers. We can also be found at Three Count Thoughts on both YouTube and Twitter. Or you can send us an email using 3CountThoughts at gmail.com. Okay, are you ready? Ring the bell. <laughs>